0: Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis 3, verses 6 through 10. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves." Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Hey everyone and thanks for joining us today. My name is Aaron and I am one of the pastors at Exilic and I want to welcome you to our online service today. I know that a lot of you weren't here during the very first year of our church, but the second sermon series that we ever did was called Questioning Christianity. And it was an opportunity for us to sort of pin God against a wall and corner him with questions like... um, If you're so good, why is 2020 happening? Because this year is awful. Or how do we really know the Bible is reliable? How do we know it's your words, not the words of man? And so that series was an opportunity for us to sort of interrogate God with all these questions. Now, in this sermon series, we're going to do the exact opposite. We're going to turn the tables around and we're going to allow God to question us. And there are two reasons why we're doing that. The first reason is because when you take a look at the gospel accounts, Jesus answers only eight questions. But while he answers only eight questions, he asks 307 questions. And so while Jesus might be the ultimate answer for life, it turns out that he is the ultimate questioner as well. And so in this series, we're taking a look at some of the questions that Jesus has for us. Because while we might have a lot for him, it turns out he has even more for us. The second reason why we're doing this sermon series is because Jesus knows better than anyone else that when you ask a question to someone, what you're doing is that you're inviting them to go on a journey with you. There's a reason why the word quest is in the word Question. And so when someone asks you a very good question, they're inviting you to go on some kind of intellectual, emotional, spiritual, existential quest with them. And so what we're going to do today is that I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to jump outside of the Gospels and jump to the very first question that God ever asked mankind in the book of Genesis. And that question is, where are you? And no, he doesn't mean, where are you right now physically? Are you in your room or your living room or somewhere else? But when God asks the question, where are you? He doesn't really mean physically so much as he means relationally with him. Where are you? So where are you? Are you in a good place? Are you in a bad place? Are you in a non-existent place? Are you in a healthy place or an unhealthy place? Where exactly are you right now? You know, one of the games that I love playing with my uh, two little girls is hide-and-go-seek. And And more often than not, uh, I'm the seeker and they're the hiders. And so usually what I do is uh, I close my eyes and I'll count to 10. And then after I count to 10, I'll say out loud, ready or not, here I come. And as I, you know, they're usually like hiding in the closet somewhere. And I'll say, where are you? Where are you? And, and the closer I get to them, they start giggling more and more. Um, and so I'm usually the, the seeker and they're usually the hider. Now, do you know where the very first game of hide and go seek was ever played? The very first game of hide and go seek was played in a giant greenhouse called the Garden of Eden, where God was a seeker and Adam and Eve were the hiders. Now where am I getting that from? If you take a look with me at verse 8 through 9, it says this, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Now, there are two questions that I want us to think about as we take a look at this verse. Number one, why were Adam and Eve hiding? And number two, why does God say, where are you, when he already knew where they were? So the first thing I wanna take a look at is why are Adam and Eve hiding? And so if you take a look with me again at verse six, this is what it says. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Now this verse begs the age old question, why God did you put that stinking tree in the middle of the garden? Because if you didn't do that, we wouldn't we wouldn't have 2020. This world wouldn't be such a mess. The world would be a much better better place. So why God did you put that tree in the middle of the garden? Now, obviously this is a question that theologians and philosophers have been wrestling with for century after century, and there are all sorts of reasons, potential reasons why God uh, did this, but let me let me just give us one that I think could be right. In many ways, what this tree represents is freedom. I want you to imagine a world where God did not put that tree in the middle of the garden. If he didn't put the tree there, how would you really know Adam and Eve were free? You wouldn't know that because freedom entails a choice. Without choices or options, you're not really, really free. And so the presence of this tree means that Adam and Eve did have a choice whether to obey or not to obey, to listen or not to listen. And because they had options or choices that they could make, it also means that Adam and Eve were free. And last I checked, as modern people, we really, really value freedom, so much so that people in our own nation have spilled their blood in the name of freedom. Furthermore, when it comes to any kind of loving relationship, love is never something that can be forced. Love is always something that has to be voluntarily and freely chosen. And in many ways, that's what this tree represents they had the freedom to obey or not to obey, to listen or not to listen. And so in many ways, the fact that God put this tree in the garden is the most loving thing that he could have ever done for us because what that means is that when he made Adam and Eve, he planted the seed of freedom in them. But the biblical definition of freedom is not just the ability to choose, but the biblical definition of freedom is the ability to choose Rightly, I'll give you an example of this. Let's say we have a fish, a friendly fish named Nemo, and Nemo lives in this tiny, tiny fishbowl. And Nemo is just tired of living within the restrictions and confines of this fishbowl, and he, he wants to be free. So Nemo one day decides to ram into the fishbowl and the fishbowl starts wobbling. And then he rams into the fishbowl again and starts wobbling even more. And then he rams into the fishbowl a third time and finally the fishbowl tips over and Nemo is now free, except that he's not really free. Because fish were never meant to thrive on land. They were meant to thrive in the water. Freedom isn't just The ability to choose, but true freedom and flourishing is the ability to choose rightly. Now we all have freedom and we have the, we have the option of choosing this or choosing that. But the truth of the matter is when we take a look at our, our past and when we take a look at our present, there are times where we do not choose the right thing and we choose the wrong thing. We think that this decision is really going to give us the freedom that we need when in fact it really does enslave us and it delivers a slow, slow inner type of death. And so maybe you chose a career just because of prestige and money and years later you end up really really hating the job but you feel kind of stuck in it. Or maybe you decided to enter into a relationship that you thought would give you freedom but later on it delivers a slow kind of inner death. Maybe you, you choose to be around a certain so, uh, circle of friends that you think will give you freedom, but what actually ends up happening is that it delivers a slow kind of death. Maybe you thought that buying all these things on your credit card would allow you to have all these gadgets and cool things, but it can deliver you into debt and be enslaved to debt. I mean, there are all sorts of things that we think and promise us certain things, but usually what ends up happening is that those things that promise so much freedom they can actually enslave us and typically what happens is that when we are enslaved by certain types of things what ends up happening is that what we can end up experiencing is a lot of guilt and shame and as a result we just want to hide we want to go under the covers and we never want to come out which is why adam and eve hide because of the guilt and shame that they're experiencing you know what guilt is Guilt is when we experience, we, we the feeling that we experience is like we did something wrong. Shame, however, unlike So guilt is when we do something wrong. Shame is when we feel like we are wrong. There's something wrong with us. And this is what Adam and Eve feel like, which is why it says in these verses, uh, in verse 8, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, have you ever noticed that phrase, cool of the day before? Why does Moses, the author of Genesis, why does he include the weather forecast in the Garden of Eden that day? I mean, is he trying to tell us what the temperature is like, what the, what the wind chill factor is like, Is he or is he trying to be poetic? Why does he include the phrase cool of the day? Well, this is just, a again, a hypothesis on my end. But I think that the reason why Moses includes that phrase is not because he's trying to tell us the temperature or the weather of the Garden of Eden, so much as he's trying to point us to the Holy Spirit. Now, this is actually pretty convenient because we've been talking about the Holy Spirit in community groups uh, this past week and last week. But the phrase, cool of the day, is one word in Hebrew, and it is the word ruach with the ch in there. And that phrase, ruach, can mean cool of the day or wind, or it could also mean the Holy Spirit. I think the reason why Adam and Eve are hiding is not because they're cold. I think the reason why they're hiding is because of the Holy Spirit. And one of the, re- one of the main jobs of the Holy Spirit is to convict our hearts. In Genesis 1, we see that the Spirit is hovering over the waters in creation, so the Holy Spirit is a creator. But in Genesis 3, what we also see is that he's not only a creator, but he's also a convictor. And because the Holy Spirit is convicting Adam and Eve's hearts, that's why they're hiding. I know that oftentimes guilt and shame get, get a bad rep. But can you imagine a world where none of us ever experienced guilt and shame because of the wrong things that we had done? I mean, how many of us would want to live in a world like that? So in many ways, the fact that we feel guilt and shame is a good thing. And it's really the Holy Spirit that is convicting and piercing our hearts. I'll give you an example of this. Um, just a couple of days ago, uh, my oldest daughter, Logan, um, my grandma was bathing her and uh, she hit grandma during bath time. And so, you know, we had to have a talk with Logan and we said, hey, Logan, you know, you can't can't hit grandma. And we said, can you say I'm sorry to her? And she refused to say I'm sorry. And so we kept saying, you have to say I'm sorry. And she wouldn't. And so uh, another 24 hours go by and we're having dinner. And all of a sudden she comes in and sits next to me at the dining room table. And uh, I see tears in her eyes. And I said, Logan, what's wrong? And she goes, Yesterday, I hit Grandma. And I said, I know. That's not. That's not nice. And um, and I said, Can you say I'm sorry to Grandma? And uh, she comes over to me. She buries her her head in my chest, and she tells Grandma, I'm sorry. And because Grandma's so awesome, Grandma says, It's okay, Logan. I love you. And it was it was such a tender moment, but. What was happening, what was happening, what transpired over the past 24 hours was was that the Holy Spirit was piercing my daughter's conscience. Even at the age of four and a half, the Holy Spirit was at work in her life. And thankfully, she listened, even 24 hours later, to what the Holy Spirit was saying. Oftentimes, when we choose not to listen to the Holy Spirit's prompting, what ends up happening to our hearts is that our hearts become callous. You ever play the guitar for a very long time? Your fingers can get chapped and very, very hard and calloused. And the more we reject what the Holy Spirit is saying into our lives, our hearts can get more and more callous. The more we reject and don't listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying into our lives, the more we're probably not gonna listen to what other people are trying to say into our life too. And the more we don't listen to what the Spirit is saying or what our friends are trying to say to correct us, you know what ends up happening to our lives? We end up going downhill really, really fast. Which is why it is so important for us to maintain a soft, and tender heart to what the Spirit might be saying. And so my question to you today is this. What is and what has the Holy Spirit been saying to you lately? What is he convicting you of? You know what the great part about this is? As the Holy Spirit convicts our hearts with guilt and shame, the Spirit of God never leaves us in our guilt and shame. But what we see is that even when we want to hide and we never want to come out, even when we want to hide, what ends up happening is that God is the one that seeks after us. How do I know that? Take a look with me at uh, verse nine and it says this, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And I love this. I love this verse because here we see what the heart of God is really like. Even when Adam and Eve want to hide and we want to hide and never come out from underneath this rock, God is always the one that is pursuing and chasing after us. This is the reason why the theologian John Calvin referred to God as the hound of heaven. You know what a hound does? A hound is trained to find something that is lost. And similarly, God, it is in his nature to be like a hound, to seek and to save uh, after us. I know that as Christians, oftentimes we use language like, um, uh, I found Jesus when I was this age, or I found God when I was that age. But the truth of the matter is, God isn't the one that's lost. The truth of the matter is, we're the ones that are lost. It's not really that we found God so much as God is the one that found us. We weren't really seeking after him so much as he was seeking after us. I'll give you another verse that says this in Romans 3. It says, uh, there is no one righteous, no, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. There is no one, including you and including me. Yet in the midst of us not seeking God, he is the one that is seeking after us. And we see this when he asks the question, where are you? And it's not because he didn't know where they were. He obviously did. But he wanted them to know that they were lost, which is why he says what he says. And um, when we take a look at other passages like Luke 15, um, in Luke 15, uh, Jesus talks about the famous prodigal son who is lost. But did you know that prior to telling the prodigal son's story, Jesus first tells two other stories about a lost sheep and a lost coin, and then he talks about the lost son. And all three stories, the lost sheep, coin, and son, are really talking about us, how we are lost apart from God, how there is really no meaning or purpose apart from God, and how how we really see the heart of God in wanting to seek after us even in, in the midst of our lostness. And I love the story of the prodigal son in particular, because uh, many of you know this story, but the the younger son asks for the inheritance early, takes his dad's money and leaves and squanders all of his dad's inheritance and money. And after months or years of being away, the the youngest son finally comes back and the father sees his son in a distance. And I love this story because he sees his lost son in the distance and what does the father do? He undignifies himself in Middle Eastern culture and he runs and he runs after his son. And the story says that he wraps his arms around the son and he kisses and embraces him. And he tells tells all the servants in the house to kill the fattened calf and to prepare a meal, for the son of his was lost, but is now found again. You know, when we think about that story, God not only searches after us when we are lost, but he does more than that. He clothes us, he forgives us, and he embraces us. And we actually see that in this story. Where am I getting that from? If you take a look at verse seven, It says, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You know, usually whenever we feel guilt and shame, what we try to do is we cover that guilt and shame up. And so Adam and Eve were trying to cover their guilt and shame with fig leaves. But what's so really interesting about this passage, if you read further on in Genesis 3, is that God he takes those fig leaves off, but rather than just exposing them, what he does is he reclothes them. And he, it, the text says that he actually reclothes them with animal skin. And you know, really what that means is that an animal was sacrificed, an animal's blood was spilled so that Adam and Eve could be clothed. And what that, what that clothing is really signifying, that animal sacrifice is really pointing to another sacrifice and another blood that was spilled. And it's really referring to Jesus Christ, who was the ultimate lamb of God, who was sacrificed in our place. And in the midst of our guilt and shame, what God does is he clothes us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And you know what that means? Here's what that means. I do not care what you have done in your past. I do not care what kind of stranglehold your past has on you. I do not care what you have done. But here's what you do need to know, no matter what you have done, the righteousness of Jesus Christ clothes you and you no longer have to live in your guilt and shame. And what he does is he lifts your chin up and he says, it's okay, you are forgiven and I spilled my blood for you. And so whether you're a Christian or not, this is really something that I want us all to remember, particularly if you're struggling with your past. And here's what I want you to know, uh, if you might not be a Christian. Uh, and I'll close with this, uh, final story. I, I butcher this story every single time. And so Pastor Gene is going to kill me because he's always like, you always tell the story wrong. And so I, I know I'm getting the details wrong, but here's how I remember the story. Um, Many moons ago, uh, a buddy of ours was engaged and um, his wife, his fiance at the time, she lost her engagement ring. I mean, it was like a fat diamond and she lost the engagement ring in the middle of this open park. And so we are we are on our hands and knees looking for this expensive diamond ring and we cannot find it. And so my buddy has a brilliant idea of us going to Lowe's or Home Depot or something like that and getting metal detectors. So we get the metal detectors and we're coming through the park and we finally find it. And because we're cheap, we immediately return the metal detectors like we never used it. Um, But we find the ring. Now that's a true story. Here's a fake story. Let's say uh, my friend's fiance lost her hairpin in the middle of the park. Do you think we'd be on our hands and knees looking for that hairpin? Probably not. Why? Because you only look for something that's lost if it's valuable to you. In Matthew 18 and Luke 19, it says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And what was really lost is both you and me. He treasured us so much that he traversed the cosmos, became like one of us to search after you and me. And if you have a God that would go to this length to be with you, how can you not be with him? So let me ask you the question one more time. So where are you at? Where are you? relationally when it comes to your relationship with God? Is it existent or non-existent? Is it healthy or not healthy? Where are you right now spiritually?